Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, you know, Easter's over. Hopefully you had a bunch of chocolate. The kid had fun. You know, back to business. How was your Easter, by the way? You know, it was pretty great. It's always cool when you got a little kid to entertain everybody and do cute things. Good to be around family. And, you know, we got a long weekend out of it. So I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. How about yourself? No, it was good. It's uh, always fun to spend time with family. And my mother-in-law is fully vaccinated now. So she came in and was pumped about that. And yeah, we had a great time. My kids, you know, it's funny because my daughter's five. And so she, you know, she took charge in, in doing the Easter egg hunt. And my son, who's two, kind of followed her around. And, and so she collected all the eggs and then proceeded to give him the ones that she didn't want. Oh, Although he still felt accomplished because, you know, he, he was pretty pumped about the entire situation. So, and then we accidentally, you know, it was funny because we had, you know, on the fence, there's a, there's like two by four sort of on the upper part of the fence where you can place eggs and whatever. And there was this real fancy egg that my daughter had spotted. And I know that we didn't plant it there. And so it was like, it was obvious that the neighbors had put it there, but of course, you know, my daughter's like, Oh, look, look. And so like, okay, like let's grab it. And we're like, to my wife, I said, maybe you should call the Easter bunny to make sure that that was for us. And so she called our neighbor and was like, Hey, do you guys have these? And it was like this real big, fancy, like one with all these designs. And ours were just like the cheap little plastic ones you get at the dollar store that like crack open. You can put like one little candy in there. Well, this one had like packs of Skittles and chocolate bars. And like, it was this obnoxious day. And I was like, this is going to be disappointing. And while I thought my neighbor would just be like, Oh no, like, you know, you guys have it. It's fine. She was like, yeah, that's for Aaron. So yeah, if you could just put it back, we're like, so Royce, uh, the Easter Bunny said it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, she was like, but there's Skittles in there. I was like, I know Aaron likes Skittles and the Easter Bunny, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we had to, uh, you know, go through that bit of a situation. But overall, she was happy because she had a bucket full of chocolate anyway. So she forgot that relatively quickly. But that told me a lot about our neighbors. And I was uh, quite disappointed mm-hmm. myself. But whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> My in-laws said, hey, we want to set some stuff out too. And they left me six cans of beer strewn about the yard, which I appreciated. <laughs> nice. So I'm topped up on Love Street now. Oh, that's great. I forget who I was talking to, but they did a, an Easter egg hunt with the kids. But there was also everyone brought a case of their favorite alcohol. And then, you know, everyone would hide it. And then so when you did your hunt, you would collect random liquor, random beers or whatever, seltzers or whatever it was. And I just thought that was a cool idea. You just kind of walk around and find random cans of something. And then you get a, a mixed bag of, of stuff to take home, which I thought was a pretty cool idea. So well, I'm glad you got your love street. Yeah. You're socked up now. <laughs> they were thinking of you. That's good. Yeah. In as much as I would like to keep talking about Easter egg hunts, Matt, I say we talk a little bit about drilling fluids because that's what we do here, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I got to give it up to you. You always have good ideas. And the one that uh, you'd come up with today, which is something that I'm not too familiar with. So I'm glad that you brought it up because I'm interested to learn more about scavenger slurries. 
So, you know, I think first and foremost, let's go ahead and get started. What are scavenger slurries and what are they used for? So I'll add that this is something that's occasionally mentioned in a mud manual, very limited. And I think because it's more of it's they're used in cementing just to lead off. They affect us. They're part of the conversation, but I don't come across this very often at all. However, I can't find, there's not great resources. So I thought we ought to do an episode just on this so people could be a little better versed. Right. But, you know, the idea is that they're basically an added spacer, if you will, which is, it's supposed to be a cheap solution to displace expensive mud, right? So let's say that you're not going to have cement returns to surface, for example, maybe you could put, you know, something in the system that would actually fully displace the oil-based mud, but wouldn't be as expensive as oil-based mud and net you gain some money on what you didn't lose behind casing. Right. And not only that, but they can aid in helping with displacement efficiency. So I think, I mean, that's sort of central to what they are, but, you know, they're inherently supposed to be really cheap, which I think is part of the reason that we don't know much of it. You know, we don't talk about them very much is nobody's asking to use regular mud chemicals. Right. You know, so. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, and I say that I don't know much about them. I mean, because a lot of times the, the cement company will pump them. And I know when I was working for a certain operator, you know, from, with AES working with an operator, we kept having challenges when we'd go to displace all the AES vert out of the hole. You know, once we ran production casing, you know, we kept pumping these, these, these scavenger slurs or these spacers. And, you know, we just kept, it just kept getting strung out and we ended up losing more volume than what we would have if we didn't pump it. And so they actually came to us and said, look, you know, can you help design, you know, a scavenger or like a, they, there was another word for it too, like a push fluid or something like that, or whatever they called it. But it was the uh, sort of like the, the cement advisor for this operator. And so in my mind, I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be very complex. And I think maybe even talking to you, like it's actually very simple. And and so what even they were looking for is just like a, a thick, almost like even just a gel slurry or something like that. And so it's not really complex, but Anyway, I'll let you kind of talk more about it, but it's, it's like you said, we're exposed to it a little bit, but the idea is, yeah, you can, it just helps push all that expensive mud out of the hole. And if, if it gets strung out or if it gets left down hole, then at least you got, you know, hopefully a majority of your expensive mud out of the hole. Right. And, and so a lot of it, you know, it, it ties in directly to the cementing process. So, you know, we mentioned cheap, you're also looking for density, right? You need that density hierarchy for a good cement displacement. Mm. So that sometimes is tricky, right? Because I'm throwing, probably might be throwing Bayrite in there, what have you. A lot of them are actually just have cement in them. And so, you know, part of it too is, is the idea of, of gen- a lot of times they're just mix on the fly type recipes, which once again, kind of limits what you can do and what you can mix. And, you know, all, a lot of the central to it all is just to make sure that they're between your oil-based mud or, or your, uh, and your and everything else so that you can recover it. But as I mentioned, a lot of times it's just thinned out cement. So it's not cement that you would use as an actual plug or, you know, something you'd set in the annulus, but it would, it may have some viscosifiers and retarders in it because one of the risks is you could flash set this stuff. You know, it could actually become a hindrance to you if it, if it reacts or uh, something along those lines and behaves like the cement that it is. 
yep. just in the lower concentration. And we've actually, we ran into that with that same operator where they're not, I mean, they, they did an investigate a thorough investigation with the cement company and just, you know, just the operations and trying to find the root cause, but we ended up flash setting cement and it was expensive and timely and a lot of sime ops offline or well, offline ops that really just, it, it became a serious operation. They had to allocate, you know, a couple engineers to, to kind of look into it and then figure out a, a way to remediate the well. And it was a, it was a project and a half. And so, yeah, having that happen and, and actually that was what kind of sparked their interest in looking at us and say, Hey, why don't we get the mud company to maybe provide a, a design to where, you know, they don't have anything to do with cementing <laughs> to help us. So, and again, I guess I just to emphasize the importance of having one, although it is somewhat of a simple design, it's extremely important and can certainly have some adverse reactions if it's not properly implemented or properly designed. Yeah. I mean, that's the hard part too. I, I mean, I'm sure people have, have been approached where they say, Hey, you know, you guys can come up with a spacer for this cement displacement. There's a lot of those things where it's like, yeah, you guys probably have the chemical expertise, but we're not cementers either. And so when it comes to displacement efficiency and some of those other best practices, we, we might be able to provide the chemicals, but we not, you know, we probably wouldn't be able to turn the levers. And for such an important operation, we wouldn't want to, right? So, you know, you certainly see the savings if it works every time, but if there's if there's something where it adds operational risk, you know, you you may find that you're actually putting yourself kind of in the line of fire. Mm-hmm. I'd rather let the cementers get yelled at for something that's <laughs> supposed to be cheaper than what I normally sell anyways. Yeah, I can honestly say I was very pleased to be on uh, our side of the fence when these conversations were happening because I used to go into their office every day and there were some very interesting discussions had and things said about <laughs> cement companies. So it was interesting to, to be a fly on the wall and to hear those types of conversations. But I guess from a operational perspective, how are these actually being used? I mean, for those who maybe aren't really familiar with cementing operations, can you describe sort of logistically and, and even like the, the steps of how these are pumped? Sure. So, I mean, as I mentioned, the idea is that they need to have a certain density to kind of match the hierarchy of your cement job relative to your mud weight. And basically it would be between the spacer and the lead cement slurry. So in a cement job, typically you have a spacer, which let's say an oil-based mud has solvents or fact and viscosifier in it. It's supposed to be mutually compatible between the oil-based mud and the spacer itself, which is going to be water-based. And then everything that follows is water-based. So it's supposed to clean off the formation and make sure you get good cement contact and that everything's water wet, even though it's been oil wet from the oil-based mud. Mm-hmm. With a water-based spacer, it can be, you know, they can be pretty basic, usually just weighted to help push the, the mud out of the way. So it'll be heavier than the mud. And then if you have a scavenger slurry, it would come next. So I've got everything water wet and I'm, I'm basically just trying to take up space. And then followed by that would be your cement, which uh, normally there's a lead slurry and, and a tail. And a lot of times, you know, the tail is there to, to make up your shoe or what have you. But with respect to, you know, kind of how these all interact is if you think about it, if I've got Spacer, scavenger slurry, lead tail. If originally I had, you know, either way, the spacer's pushing out the oil-based mud. But if I, I don't have to have cement all the way to surface, I have this, you know, I could be a couple hundred barrels of mud just that are just going to get left behind the casing. And that costs money. So if I come up with a cheaper fluid to just occupy that space and do no harm on the cement job, 
well, I could save some money. And, and there are case histories of that. There, I was reading an AAD paper recently that, you know, they cite this as a success story of, you know, at their point in time, I think it was $125 a barrel for oil-based mud. And their scavenger slurry was, I don't know, I think 50 or $75, a couple hundred barrels, every well, it saved some money and made it the difference. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked when we've had waste volumes of, you know, sometimes we look for trashy oil-based mud to do something like this. Sometimes we've had uh, even just, you know, waste volumes that we can kind of intentionally spot there so that it's left behind the annulus and gives us our expensive fluid back. But it's not actually part of the cement itself. It's just basically something between the, the that spacer and the cement. Gotcha. Have you heard of any sort of anything pumped or anything that was added to the scavenger slurry? Like, like you did mention a few things. But like, do people pump LCM with that if there's losses or anything to that nature? Or is it just, you know, kind of dirty and cheap every time? Well, it's dirty and cheap. I guess it's relative to your risk, right? So let's say I have a a wall cake and then I just, you know, pumped a spacer that's supposed to remove that wall cake followed by cement. Normally cement's really thick and has some fluid loss properties. So it's possible to put fluid loss additives in there. LCM is possible as well. Certainly seen it done. So yeah, there are, there are other things relative to the level of risk and concern, but it's all yeah. going to be, I don't know, say on the cheap, if that's, let's just call it what it is. Yeah. It's, it's on the cheap, right? We're, yeah. we're trying to spend as little money as possible to gain the most that we can from getting an expensive fluid back. Gotcha. Cool. Well, that's Matt. That's all the questions I really had. Again, it's not a very complex topic, but it's something that again, we're you know, we're involved with and, and it's something that we see on a rig, uh, especially if you're on the production side of things or, you know, if you're at TD and you know, as a mud engineer and you go to run production pipe, a lot of times you're going to see that stuff come back to surface. So being aware of it, uh, knowing what it is and having a good understanding of, of why it's important is, is certainly something we wanted to elaborate on today. Matt, is there anything else you'd like to relay to uh, the faithful audience? I mean, I think I just reiterate, you know, this is, this is going to come up from time to time and there are risks and is the mud engineer, make sure that if there's risks and concerns, you're not a cementer, but let's make sure that we do everything on the mud side for a successful cement job. Keep an eye on things because I mean, at the very least, if you know that you've taken care of your business, if you have cement flash setting or you get a poor displacement all of a sudden, the scavenger slurry could be something that caused it. Right. And we want to make sure that if, if people start asking questions, we know that we've done our part. Because like you said, it, it's very, very expensive if it goes wrong. And that's probably why we hear of it, but we don't hear of it all the time. Well, that's exactly right. And if anyone out there actually has any stories or any experience with you know some, some funky design or something kind of unusual. We'd love to hear about it. Or if you have any ideas for a show, if you simply have any questions on any of the topics that we've discussed, hit us up at the Flowline podcast at aesfoods.com. Or you can hit up Matt on LinkedIn. He always wants to chat with everyone that messages him. So please bother him. He's not that busy. I'm totally kidding. But if you do have a serious question or want to reach out to us, we love engaging with the audience. And if you could, please leave a review, five-star preferably, but we're always mm-hmm. open to constructive criticism. And with that said, everyone have a great day and we will talk to you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth.
Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.